I would ask that you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke this morning, the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to depart from our uh, series uh, in the book of Titus uh, for the next couple weeks. And uh, we're going to dedicate uh, this Sunday uh, to the focus of Christmas. Uh, Every other year, uh, we uh, devote a good portion of the month of December uh, to the um, season of Advent, to the season of Christmas. And this year, we find ourselves in, if you will, an off year where we dedicate uh, the Sunday before uh, the Christmas uh, holiday uh, to our uh, uh, to our Lord and Savior and the coming King uh, who came in a manger in Bethlehem. And today I want to talk on the subject of finding a Christ in Christmas. And I'm going to ask that you would uh, turn, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. Now we won't be in this text uh, except for the last point this morning. We'll be kind of all over the Christmas story, but uh, to give us kind of a, a place to springboard from, I want to look at this great passage of Scripture, uh, one that we are reminded of during this time of the year as we look at uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. I'd ask that you would stand for the reading of God's Word as we uh, go to His Word now. It says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. That has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things. That they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Father God, we come before you and we humbly place ourselves before you so that you may teach us today. Lord, the story of Christmas is something that, uh, if any of us have been a believer for any amount of time, it can become mundane and, and redundant. But Father, I pray today that uh, this incredible story, this miraculous story, the story in which we place our hope and trust of a Savior would ignite in our hearts, that we would allow the dust of many Christmases to come off it so that at the end of the day, before this season is done, we, just like the shepherds, would go on a search and that we would find you and that we would find you and find out all that the Lord has said is true. So, Lord, I pray for each and every a person here, man, woman, and child, uh, that we would find Christmas uh, this season, that we would find you, Christ, in, in our celebrations. Lord, that we would not just go through the motions of another American holiday uh, with the gifts and, and the food and the drink, but Lord, that we would find you and find the meaning of this great season. So Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds this morning as we seek you, the Christ of Christmas. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The season of Christmas is a season of searching. It doesn't take us long at any local mall to see people searching for the right gift, searching for the right deal. The season begins at about midnight on the day after Thanksgiving. While people have been searching the ads for that right gift, maybe for themselves or someone else, people go on a search. Some of you, in fact, have been searching for just the right gift. 
I was so excited this Christmas because it's very hard to uh, buy for Amanda. You know, when, when you've got everything going for you and you look right in every outfit, what's a new outfit going to do? When you're as beautiful as she is, what's a piece of jewelry going to do? Guys, you know where I'm at. It's hard to shop for your wife. But I've got to tell you, I, I've been able quite quickly to find the gifts for her uh, this season. Uh, things that she no doubt will enjoy. She always gets mad when I tell her that I have found a gift. And she'll say, well, you're so difficult to find gifts for. And when we said we weren't going to get gifts for one another. And I do that just to make her feel bad that I'm thinking about her throughout the year. But for some of us, even as this week approaches and the Christmas uh, day is, is fast uh, coming, some of us haven't found that gift for that special someone. But finding the gift isn't the only thing people are searching for this Christmas. According to eHarmony, people are looking and searching for love during the holidays than any other time uh, in the year. I don't know what it is about Christmas. Maybe it's another uh, time of, uh, of going back home with, without maybe uh, a soulmate or, or what it is. I'm not quite sure what it, it must be for those that are single. But, but accordingly, people seem to be searching for love during this season. During this economic downturn, there's no doubt that people are searching for, un, uh, for employment uh, because of their lack of employment. Wanting a new year to begin with, with a job and an and ability to know and understand where the next paycheck is going to come. It's a season of searching. But I will tell you, for many, on the 25th of December, many will look under the tree and they will not see the gift that they were hoping for. Many will continue after the holidays are done and in the doldrums of January and still be searching for the love of their life and they still may be searching for that job that they're waiting for. And yet the greatest tragedy will not be any of those things. But the greatest tragedy for any human being is searching for meaning and life and joy amidst the Christmas season apart from Jesus Christ. For many of us, we are searching for an emotion. We are searching for a feeling instead of searching for a person. Apart from Jesus Christ, Christmas will never take the meaning that it should have in our hearts and in our minds. And yet many this Christmas will be searching for all kinds of things. And the one thing that will satisfy, the one thing that will bring hope and peace in a world of conflict and trials, they will miss out on. In fact, in that first Christmas story, there were many who missed Christmas. Oh, they were searching for redemption. They were searching for meaning, but they were searching for it according to their own terms. And so when Jesus comes in Bethlehem, they miss it. And just like so many today, because of the busyness of the world we live in, because of our own selfish desires and wants, we miss the Christ of Christmas. Amidst the Christmas story, there are many characters. You can think of Mary and Joseph. You can think of Simeon and Anna. Who can forget the innkeeper, the shepherds, the wise men? And according to all of these characters... If you were to put them all in one group, they could be separated by one thing. And the separation of that would be, did they find Christmas 
in that first Christmas? Did they find Christ in that first Christmas, or did they miss him? And you could separate all of those people by that one thing. I can assure you today in our culture, 2,000 years later, that people can be separated by that one thing still. Have they found the Christ of Christmas? And yet in our world today, so many will miss it. Now, how is, as believers, how are we to make sure that we don't miss Christ this Christmas? How do we find him? Well, it involves three things this morning I want to bring out in our outlines. The first thing that we need to understand and know, if we want to be successful in finding Christ, is eliminating all obstacles that hinder our search. We need to eliminate anything that keeps us from finding Christ. I want to give you three obstacles that I see in the Christmas story uh, based on some of the characters. And the first obstacle that we see in the Christmas story uh, comes from the innkeeper. And that is the obstacle of space problems. The innkeeper we don't know much about. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, if you're still in the second chapter of Luke, it says in Luke 2 verse 7 that she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, we don't know anything about this innkeeper. We don't know if he was tall or short, whether he had lots of hair or was balding. We don't know if he was old or young. We don't know if he was a kind man or a wicked man. It just says that there was no room for him in the inn. Now, because we don't know much of what's going on in this man's life, we have to be so very careful that we don't uh, begin to demonize him as one who is an angry or a bitter man, nor should we uh, begin to put on him that he was a a man of great welcoming spirit and, and all of that. But I will tell you, based on our text, one thing that we can know for sure was that he could not bring Jesus into his inn because he had no room. The simple fact was that he had a space problem. There were not enough rooms for the Holy Family to come and be a part of that first Christmas with him. Again, this isn't bad nor good. It's just a stated truth. There was no room for him, for Jesus, in the end. As I began to think about that, I think that this obstacle is one of the biggest ones for us as Christians. We desire uh, to engage in the Christmas story, but because of all the other details in the world, because of all the things that take up our space, if you look at your schedule this last month, I'm sure over and over again, just like the Badal schedule, you will see activity after activity after activity. Many of them are noble. The innkeeper, no doubt, was doing what God had purposed him to do. At some point, as a young man, he must have made the decision, whether it was because he had an extra room in his home or because it was going to be his job in life, was to care for visitors that would come to the city of David. And he would take care of them and minister to them for the duration of their visit. Except what had happened was, is he had filled his inn with all kinds of people not recognizing that Christ was coming. For many of us today, we fill our lives with the mundane, and when Jesus shows up, 
no matter our heart's desire, we're unable to let him come in to our hearts and into our lives. And so the things that seem so noble, the things that seem so wonderful, fill our lives so that when Jesus comes knocking, Jesus must be turned away. Things like work and our hobbies and the pursuits of dreams and the schedules of running the kids here and there to this activity and to that activity, whether they're noble or good, no matter what they are, they fill our lives so full around Christmas that we're unable to open our hearts and our lives to let Christ in. I want you to look at this quote from a man named Frederick Bucher who says the following. He, says, I, he speaks from the perspective of the innkeeper. And he says, I speak to you as men of the world, said the innkeeper, not as idealists, but as realists. Do you know what it's like to run an inn, to run a business, a family, to run anything in this world for that matter, even your own life? It's like being lost in a forest of a million trees, said the innkeeper. And each tree is a thing to be done. Is there fresh linen on all the beds? Will the dinner be ready on time? Did the children put their coats, put on their coats before they went out? Has that letter been written? That book been read? Is there money enough left in the bank? Today we have food in our bellies and clothes on our backs. But what can we do to make sure that we will have them still tomorrow? A million trees, a million things. Finally, because of all of this, we have eyes for nothing else. And whatever we see turns into a thing. Some of you are right there with the innkeeper. You're doing a million things. And so Christmas and the celebration of Christ's birth is just another thing to do. It's another thing that you need to be a part of. It's another uh, note on the schedule of a million other things. It doesn't find itself being elevated above any other. It's just another thing to be done. I will tell you, if you live according to that mindset, you will miss Christ this Christmas. Now notice the second obstacle that comes. The obstacle of religious and traditional preoccupation. I want you to turn for a moment to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Now, each year I, I tell you this, and, and, and I'm learning more and more uh, from other uh, preaching uh, pastors that this is true. Christmas is a hard uh, time to preach sermons. You guys have heard the same nine sermons that everybody has preached on Christmas, but you want something fresh and new and real, and we've only got about six chapters of the Bible to work from. And you've got them memorized, and you know exactly where I'm going each and every time. And so there's a disappointing sense sometimes of, of trying to find something new and fresh to bring out. And one thing I'm so excited with is even sometimes when the Scriptures become mundane, God has a new word for us. A nugget of truth, if you will, that we've never seen before. And it's this one that, that I'd never really thought about before. And I want us to look at it. Matthew chapter 2. And we'll just go through verses 1 through 6. It says the following. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. 
When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. I want us to stop there, and I want you to notice the response of the chief priests and teachers of the law. For 400 years, these chief priests and teachers of the law had been waiting on a word from the Lord. From the closing of the Old Testament, uh, there had been no message from the Lord. No prophet had come and said, thus saith the Lord. And so these chief priests, the, uh, the teachers of the law, were anticipating the coming of Messiah. They were longing for his arrival. And so when these wise men show up, and these wise men come and say, hey, we've seen this star from the east, and we have come, and we believe this star is to lead and guide us to the king that has been prophesied about. Now, I'd never noticed this before, but you would have thought if anybody would have been excited, it would have been the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They were the ones daily in the temple courts. They were the ones that were reading of the law and the prophets. And for all these years, they had been waiting for good news. And here these wise men, the magi from the east, come and say, hey, we have found his star. You would have thought the first people that would have been there would have been ready to go and head out to Bethlehem would have been those, the religious leaders of the day. And yet when the text says that the magi get to Bethlehem, there is no word of any chief priests or teachers of the law arriving with them. In fact, they give the directions. They say, hey, this is where the prophet Micah says he's going to be. He's going to be in Bethlehem. And they are directing those to find Jesus, but they themselves did not find him. What kept them in Jerusalem? I believe the same thing that keeps many believers from finding Christ in Christmas, and that is they were just busy doing ministry. They were busy in the traditions of their lives. And so they were busy doing all the things that when Christ actually does show up, that which they're waiting for, they're unprepared. In fact, they're unwilling to go and to find him exactly where they had told others he would be. And so for some of us, we find that this month is filled with all kinds of traditions. Putting up the tree, singing Christmas carols, having music playing in the home, baking of cookies, the writing of cards, all of these things that are good and wonderful traditions. And reading the cards that come from each of the the families that are close to us, seeing Christ and Scripture being revealed on a card next to a beautiful picture is a wonderful outreach. But if we just do all of those things and we sing the praises of God and sing the carols of Christmas, and yet don't go to that manger, then just like the chief priests and just like the teachers of the law, we point to something that which we have not yet experienced. And there's a lot of us who are pointing. A lot of us are talking about why Christ must stay in Christmas. But we never seem to realize that if Christ is going to remain in Christmas in our culture, then Christ must remain in in Christmas in our hearts. 
We can't expect unbelievers to want Christ in this season if Christ isn't found in our own hearts and minds this morning. And so be careful that all of the preoccupations, all of the services, and all of the wonderful uh, celebrations of Christmas always bring you to Christ. And don't leave you just, you know, they were only about 12 or 13 miles away, the chief priests. They weren't very far away from that first Christmas. But they were uh, eons away from him encountering their heart. I love what A.W. Tozer says in regards to this. He says, each age has its own characteristics. Right now we live in an age of religious complexity. The simplicity which is in Christ is rarely found among us. In its place are programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy our time and attention, but can never satisfy the longing of the human heart. The shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, and the servile imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we in this day know God only imperfectly. And that the peace of God, scarcely at all, if we would find Christ amid all our religious externals, we must first determine to find him and then proceed in the way of simplicity. Now, as always, God reveals himself to babes and yet hides himself in the thick darkness from the wise and the prudent. Therefore, we must simplify our search and our approach to him. I think of the song, Getting Back to the Heart of Worship, where Matt Redman says, When the music fades and all is swept away, can I simply come? Can I simply come and worship God without song, without dance? Can I worship God? Let me ask you this. You take away the tree. You take away the songs. You take away all of the festivities. Can you still find Christ in Christmas? Some of us are so enamored with all of the pomp and circumstance, all of the festivities surrounding Christmas. In fact, we love planning it, and some of you plan for months what you're going to do during the season, and you never invite Christ into it. We were at a birthday party yesterday, and think about putting up all the balloons and all the streamers and all the cake, and never invite the birthday boy or girl to the event. Some of us are planning, even this week, great and marvelous plans, but you have forgotten to invite Christ into the celebration. And it doesn't need to be full of all kinds of uh, difficult things. It is simply, as Tozer says, opening our hearts to the simple fact that Jesus is to be approached as the wonderful God that he is. Not with all of the difficulties and all of the hard thinking, but as babes, we approach this Jesus who was born in a manger. Finally, we see an obstacle of selfish pursuits. Again, in Matthew chapter 2, we see yet another character who missed Christ that Christmas. It says, when King Herod, verse 3 says, heard this, that there was a king who was to be born in Bethlehem, it says he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. King Herod shows us uh, that he was not finding Christ at Christmas because of his own selfish pursuits and desires. 
This word agitated gives us a picture of what King Herod is thinking. It literally means that uh, he is agitated, he is uh, worked up, he's in a frenzy. And when the king is in a frenzy, the people and the subjects are in a frenzy. And it says that there was this great agitation, this great disturbance in Jerusalem. And the reason why was because King Herod heard that a baby was going to be born, a royal baby, a baby who would take the, king, uh, take the throne of the king, of da- uh, king David of the throne of Israel. And he looks around and he says, none of my uh, wives are, are having children and none of my sons have wives that are having children. And so who is this child? And if he's not a part of my family, then he is a threat to my kingdom. He is a threat to my authority. And so what does it say in verse 13? Unlike the other two, Herod goes even farther. And he wants to put Jesus to death. In verse 13 it says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. It goes on and it says, uh, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled that the Lord said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I will call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. One of the saddest parts, the darkest hours of the Christmas story, Herod, because of his anger, strikes out towards the Holy Family. And because he can't find them, he says, you know what, we'll just figure it out by deduction. Kill anybody who's two years and younger. Kill all the boy babies. Let's just make sure that this promised king will never hear of him again. You say, what would cause a man to want to do that to a child? The same heart that keeps us from longing for Christ this Christmas. For some in this room today, you speak with your mouth that you long for Christ, just as Herod did. Remember, Herod says, hey, go find him, make a careful search for him, so I too can come and worship him. Herod had no desire to worship him, but to nullify the place that Christ had in the world and in his life. Why did he do that? He did that because he wanted no one to rule his life but himself. And some of us today, even though we speak about desiring to worship God, to worship Christ, deep down inside there's a hatred for that Christ. Because Christ is not just a little babe in a manger, but he was our Lord and he's our Savior. He's our King. And it's because of that that we are called to do as he says, When he says jump, we are to say how high. When he says we are to go there, we should go there with great joy and anticipation because our master has told us so. But Herod and many today don't long for that Lord in your life. And as a result of that, instead of finding Christ, you do everything in your power to dismiss the authority of Almighty God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Three things that keep us from finding Christ this Christmas. But that's not the whole story. 
Aren't you glad that there are characters in this wonderful story that remind us of how to find Christ? Because we see it doesn't just involve eliminating some of the ways that, that hinder us from Christ. But notice we need to examine the open doors that Christ gives. Notice the open doors that are given. Throughout the story, we learn that God and the story of Christmas is uniquely leading his people to his son, Jesus Christ. And we see it over and over again. And that is true today. God continues to use the season and celebration of Christmas to be a time where he leads people back to himself. It seems as if uh, almost uh, parallel with the silence of of uh, the 400 years between the Old and New Testament, that throughout our year, 11 months of the year, there's this silence when it comes to God. And no one will speak about God. No one will speak of Christ in the workplace. But when Christmas rolls around, secular radio stations will stop what they're doing and many times be playing the wonderful Christmas carols, reminding us of the true reason for the season of Christmas. And so out of this calendar year, around December, all of it seems to begin to point back to Christ. And the open doors begin. Now notice a couple things about these open doors. First of all, these open doors involve all levels of society. All levels of society. I don't need you to turn there. You were there just last week as Pastor Ben shared. But our text last week said the following. In verse 11 of Titus 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That word appeared is the word epiphania, and it's the word that we get the word epiphany from. If you've been a part of any kind of liturgical church, you know the celebration of epiphany. It is the great appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But this appearing took place to all people. And we learned last week this idea of all people is all kinds of people. We, sung, we sang about it uh, in our worship service. Princes and paupers, sons and daughters, kneel at the throne of grace. That's the great story of Christmas. The people that found Christmas, there was great contrast to it. There were two groups, the shepherds and the wise men. And the shepherds were the low of the low. The wise men were the great men of authority, the great men of prestige. And both of them find themselves on that Christmas day celebrating and praising the name of the grace of Jesus Christ embodied in the person of Christ. Money. Shepherds were poor. Wise men come and they bear gifts, expensive, extravagant gifts. And both rich and poor find themselves worshiping the same Savior and Lord. What about education? No doubt during that time, shepherds were probably the most uneducated individuals in all of society. Their job was simple. Take the flock out, get them fed, make sure that they're protected, and bring them back home. And yet the wise men were men of science. They were able to discern and ascertain as they looked intently into the stars to know that a great star was there sharing a path and showing the way to this newborn king. How about location? The shepherds were close. They were near Bethlehem. They were in the fields watching their flocks by night. And yet the wise men were far off. They would journey great distances to make their way uh, to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem 
so that they could see the one who had been prophesied about. This is the great grace of Jesus Christ, and this is the great story of Christmas, that no matter who you are, rich or poor, wise or plain, great or small, all of us, every one of us, every man, woman, and child can come to the manger of Bethlehem and be saved by the great Savior, our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. No one is held back. No one is told, and we learned this last week, no one is told that it will cost more than they have. No one is told that they have to go back to school and get a couple more credits before they can take uh, the great, uh, be a part of the great celebration. No one is told to check their money before they enter into the door. But all who humbly come, who kneel at that manger, can receive the grace and mercy in their hour of need. And that is true for us today. So no one's outside of the grace of Almighty God. You'll sit across the table from people that that will despise your very presence and the very words about Christ and Christmas and don't ever think that they are so far out of the grace of God that God can't save them. Just be reminded that Paul is writing in the book that we're looking at to a group of people called Cretans who are evil brutes, who are liars and lazy gluttons. That is a reminder of some of your family members this Christmas. And yet Paul writes a book that speaks about the almighty and all-powerful grace of Jesus Christ that can save Cretans, they can save your family members as well. Now notice the next thing that we see is that not only does it involve uh, all levels of society, but it involves signs that pointed the way. For the shepherds and the wise men, they found this grace because it appeared to them. They did not find it on their own. I want us to understand and know this. We do not find Jesus on our own, but Jesus comes searching for us. And so one thing that you must be aware of is that as we talk about finding Christ this Christmas, it is opening our hearts to being led by Almighty God to that manger once again. We don't have to try to, on our own, through our GPS of human making, try to make our way to Jesus. But it is the work of regeneration in the heart that God does that allows that. And then he points the way. We know that angels appeared to the shepherds, and that must have been a magnificent sight. One angel at first, and then a whole cloud of heavenly hosts shined upon them. And they sang glory to God in the highest. That hadn't happened before. What an amazing thing. We're not sure what the wise men saw as they looked into the sky. Was it just a peculiar star? Some believe that it could have been the almighty uh, and all-powerful Shekinah glory of God. Something that would have never been seen before. And yet my thought is, is it couldn't have been so elaborate and so amazing because then everybody would have probably gone. And it only speaks of these wise men coming from the east. And so it was very specific. As great and as magnificent was the angels singing, it was limited only to the shepherds. No one else in Bethlehem heard it. The innkeeper doesn't uh, hear this great commotion and look out his window and see these angels uh, singing and serenading, if you will, the shepherds that night. Only the shepherds do. And yet we see that the signs pointed the way. 
They pointed the way. They gave directions to exactly where Jesus was born, exactly where he was at. And I will tell you today, even though we don't have stars per se in the sky, though we don't have angels coming and singing to us, we have something that is far better, the word of God. And the scripture says that this is a sign. This is a sign that makes it possible for us to have salvation. These things are written that you may know Christ and the God who sent him. These words are the words of truth that make us wise, the apostle Paul says, for the way of salvation. These things are written uh, not any different than the star over Bethlehem and the angels that sang their praises. The word of God is there to direct us back to Christ. And then he sends messengers. Herod had an opportunity to turn and bow the knee to Jesus. He sent the wise men. And the wise men came uh, to Jerusalem and shared. But he turned away from that because of anger that filled his heart. I'm so thankful that God didn't just say, here's your word, but he sent messengers. And those messengers were in the forms of Sunday school teachers and Awana leaders and a godly mom and dad who poured over these scriptures and said, these words are important. These things will give us life and they will give us the ability to know the will of God. So that at a time of of God's choosing, I would bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And I would say, all to you, Jesus, I owe, because you've saved me and you've bought me with your precious blood. The signs pointed the way. Now notice, how do we get there? It involves a couple things I need to get moving. It involves the right spirit. When both the wise men and the shepherds saw what they saw in the sky, they didn't just look and say, wow, that's pretty amazing. We should call the National Enquirer. Does someone have a camera? Let's take a picture of these things. Of course not. But what it says was because of their excitement, because of their jubilation, what do they do? They head off because of the right spirit. The wise men alike, they look out and they see this star and they're amazed by the star. And it doesn't say that they just hung out there and just marveled at the star, but they moved. What caused them to move? I think there are two things I want you to write down in your outline. First of all, the right spirit involves humbling yourself. Both the wise men and the shepherds humbled themselves. At some point, they recognized and realized that what they were a part of was greater than themselves. It was more important than the mundane details of life. Both of them were willing to leave their livelihoods right where they were at and head out to find Jesus. What that tells me is that they were willing to say, Jesus is more important and the search for this king is more important than work and my livelihood and all that I'm a part of. It means humbling yourself. Finally, it means being honest with yourself. Upon coming to the manger, they bow down and they worship. Now they saw, all they saw, it says, it doesn't say that there was any kind of uh, great fanfare and processional. It says that they found Mary and Joseph, and the baby. But it says that they kneeled down. They bowed down and worshiped. And what that tells me is that they were willing to humble themselves, but they were willing to be honest about who they were. When they saw that child, they saw something greater than themselves. 
They saw something because they began to recognize this child is of key importance to my life. And this child is my king. He is my Lord. And for some of us this morning, we have forgotten what it means to humble ourselves and to be honest as we approach that manger once again. And we forget that because we have become so, uh, the, the teachings of Scripture have become so mundane in our lives that we've missed it. But notice what these guys did, alas, and that is that they stepped out in faith. They just didn't see the stars. They began the journey. They didn't have all their questions answered, but they stepped out of their comfort zone to meet Christ Jesus. I say all of this for the spirit and the heart that's here today that has never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never bowed down and worshiped Christ You've never given your life to him. And it means identifying that you're a sinner. Identifying that you need a savior. And being willing to humble yourself and bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Amidst all of the fanfare and all the celebrations of Christmas, if you miss out on this one thing, you will miss out on the very reason for the season. And as a result of that, you will miss out on the greatest grace and mercy love that the world has ever seen. Today is the day of salvation. Well, just give me a couple more moments and I'll close with my third point, and that is embracing the opportunities to worship him. So they found him. After their journeys, they had found him just as they had been told. And in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that there's a response. And this is true for all of us who call Jesus Christ our Savior And in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that there are three responses that we should have this Christmas and how we should celebrate Christmas. And it speaks of the shepherds first in Luke 2, 17 and 18. It says, and when they had heard or when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So maybe you found Christ. Maybe it was some Christmases ago. Do you proclaim that to the world around you? Are you proclaiming that in your cards? Are you proclaiming that in your festivities? Maybe your family doesn't want anything to do with Christ. Are you willing to be bold enough to stand and say, hey, before we devour this meal, let us take time to thank God for his indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to proclaim that? I love what it says that all of them who heard were amazed. I think the way that we can amaze people is not just by quoting Bible verses, but by sharing how the Christ of Christmas has changed our lives. But that means being open. That means going out and stepping out of your comfort zone. You think that the shepherds might have been worried that they told everybody? It had some angels appeared to us. Well, what were you shepherds doing, little sippy sippy? That you saw that? What, what are you guys doing out there? You're crazy. And no doubt some probably would have been that way. And some of your fam- family and friends will be that way. Are you kidding me? But it means stepping out in faith. And saying, this is how Christ has changed my life. Be willing to be transparent. Notice the next thing. It involves proclaiming the story of Christmas. It involves pondering the wonder of the season. 
Luke 2.19 says that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary found Christ. She found him in the most unique places in her arms. She must have been overwhelmed with emotion. And she, she allowed the truth of the season to penetrate both her heart and mind. She said, I don't ever want to forget this. I don't want to ever lose the wonder of it all. And what a reminder for us to be reminded of the idea that we should never lose the wonder. I was watching uh, a little Dunseth girl as she was watching her dad light the candles. And every time a candle started to light up, her face lit up. And, and, and there's a part of me that says, kid, it's just a candle. Get over it. And yet I want that wonder. I want the wonder that my children have around this Christmas season. And they love it. Uh, my, my sons love all the lights. Little Luke in the car seat will yell, look at the lights, look at the lights. And I say, they're just lights. There's an electric bill that's going more and more. And yet children understand the wonder of Christmas. And we miss it. Take some time this week, my brothers and sisters, to ponder the wonder of the season and finally praise him for the one who saves. It says in Luke 2.20 that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were were just as they had been told. Amidst all our celebrations, let us not forget that Jesus Christ is the one who saves. We don't just serve a little baby in a manger, but that baby grew up, and that baby lived a life of perfection, and that baby was born with one purpose in mind, to die that he may redeem a people unto himself. And there's one thing that I want us to be reminded of this Christmas. Before you close your your Bibles and your notes, I want to share a closing illustration. Many of you have heard of the movie Bridge Over the River Kwai, But few have read the book, Miracle on the River Kwai. It's a book by Ernest Gordon. It's not a book about Christmas, nor is this per se a story about Christmas. But it's a reminder that we must have in our Savior and in our King. And from this book, he speaks about a group of POWs who had been captured by the Japanese. And they were working as a chain gang, shoveling a... um, a ravine uh, for uh, different embankments and and things that was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, fortifications for uh, battle. And as they're digging these out, each and every day, the chain gang of 12 would be chained up, taken to their ditch, and they would dig for hours. And at the end of the day, they would be chained back up, and they would be sent back to their barracks And as they would come and be counted, they would be counted 1 to 12, and each of the shovels would be returned. Except one day, when the 12 were returning, they had been counted 1, 2, 11, 12. They were all there, but as the shovels were counted, one was missing. And the guard is furious. No prisoner could have a shovel. He could dig his way out somehow tunneling himself out of the, out of the uh, confinement area, or he could use it as an implement of, of beating one of the guards. And so the guard is furious, and he says, unless the one who has stolen the shovel speaks up, all of you will die. And the men are silent. And right then, 
right as the man is about to order each of the guards to raise their guns and to level all 12 of these men, a young man steps forward. And without saying a word, he steps forward, he looks down, and the guard takes his gun, and he shoots him in the head and kills him instantly. And the men are horrified. But they're told to go to the barracks. And as they're walking to the barracks, they overhear the private in the Japanese army articulating something to the commanding officer, which then they found out what was said. The young private had miscounted the shovels. There weren't 11, but there were 12. And every one of those soldiers that night laid their head on the pillow, recognizing that an innocent man died on their behalf. And because of that, I love what Gordon says. He says, uh, let me see here my notes. He says, as each man put his head on the pillow that night, he had far much more to be thankful for, far much more to live out of a light of sacrifice that was given. And I add this, and I'll close. If we would just keep Jesus in the manger, then we miss the point of Christmas. This Jesus came who was in a manger is the same Jesus who came to die. An innocent man so that we may have life. So in light of that, my church, let us do all that we can to praise and glory in the Christ of Christmas now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for not the story of Christmas, but for the events of Christmas. They happened so long ago, we can begin to see the dust acquire on them. And yet, Lord, this is a story that changes our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find you this Christmas, that we would worship you this Christmas, that we would ponder you this Christmas, that we would proclaim you to others this Christmas. Because you are the one who came. You are the one who humbled himself to be found as a servant with human flesh on, that you might live like us, that you might be one of us, so that you could save us. Lord, we are so thankful for that. And Lord, I pray out of that gratitude that this Christmas would be different. Lord, I pray for the heart that has never trusted you as their Savior, that this Christmas be a Christmas that they would turn to you. Lord, if they have questions, that they would visit those at the Welcome Center, that they would come and talk with me, or even, Lord, the person sitting next to him and say, how do I find Christ this Christmas? And that, Lord, they would find grace and mercy in their hour of need. Lord, I pray that this Christmas would be different than any other, not but because of what is found under the tree, but because we have found you in all your glory and all your grace.